I don't really believe in conspiracies. I don't think there's like a cabal of people sitting around a, a dark smoke-filled room deciding all these things. What I always say is there's no conspiracy. There's a dynamic. There's just a structural incentive that sort of spins things a certain direction. And there can't be any kind of even tacit admission that this narrative is not the one true narrative. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 836. Today, we're talking about the future of the internet because it is changing rapidly. And if you have an online business, you need to know about this stuff. I'm bringing back my guest, Mark Jeftovic. Welcome. Hey, James. How's it going? Good. We had a great chat last time. I think it was 807 episode. We were talking about the cancel culture. We're talking about own the race course, about having control of your online assets. We talked about the subtle differences between what you think you have control over or not in terms of how your domain works, which is obviously a big part of what you do as a business. You have easydns.com is your main thing. Last time we were scheduled to chat, we had to postpone because you were getting under some cyber attack. I'm really curious. Is this something you're seeing more of? I, I was reading in the news recently about Russians attacking a meatworks plant in America. And you know we hear about all of this stuff. I don't know how much of it is actually happening or how much of it is an inside job, so to speak, forcing people to change their pathways or whatever. But are you seeing more things in terms of attacks? And what are you seeing in terms of the landscape for how much stuff is actually being shown to us versus not? And just to sort of put a little cap on that, I understand in some countries, for example, they don't get to see many of the things that we would see in our own countries. Like they're heavily censored by governments. And I imagine they have their completely own world. We like being in another world, like we hear about North Korea, where their version of the world, their model of the world would be entirely different to what ours is. In fact, yours would probably be entirely different to mine. We were just chatting before the show about how you're still sort of in lockdown mode. And in Australia, we're kind of more in um, freedom mode, unless you live in Victoria, in which case you're not. What are you seeing? Attacks, changes to the internet. Let's get off to the races. Thanks for having me back. There's a lot in that question, so I will try and pick them off one by each as best as I can remember. Are we seeing more attacks here at EasyDNS? No. In fact, the event that we had, the time we had to postpone was the first one in a long time. And when we get attacked now, it's usually at some part of the infrastructure that we weren't, you know, almost like a weak spot that we overlooked. Like we're a DNS company, we're a domain registrar, we're used to getting hit on the name servers. That's where we used to get hit all time. We had some pretty catastrophic DOS attacks and we've built up systems and that's not really much of a thing anymore. So we're seeing knock wood, they're rare, right? We don't see it very often. But attacks in general are happening with greater frequency. Ransomware is rampant, as we see all the time. A friend and I often remark just kind of jokingly that World War III has started and just no one's seen the memo. Like We're in a new global conflict that's being fought with economics, narrative, and internet. But you know, sometimes it's a little bombastic to say it, but when I look at what's happening, I think, well, maybe maybe it is happening like that. But what makes it so much more complicated is you've probably done a lot of media appearances. I've done a fair number of media appearances. The one constant thing through all these media appearances is that they almost always get what you're trying to tell them wrong. 
especially when it's about technical matters. So yes, there's more global conflict, there's more cyber conflict, there's more internet attacks happening in the world, but the reporting on it is getting worse and less accurate and more hysterical and narrative and political driven and further and further from reality. So you'll notice when there's a high consequence ransomware attack, it becomes Russia instantly. Like almost the moment it becomes, it's based to Russia. And so when the SolarWinds supply chain attack happened, I was coming in for Access of Easy, the weekly newsletter we do. I traced the Russian narrative almost in real time. It was creepy. Reuters, the news agency, put out a two-sentence story that cited an unnamed source that ascribed it to Russia. And that was all it was. Like this attack happened, and someone we're not going to tell you who it is thinks it might be Russia. And then all of the major media outlets everywhere in the world ran with the Russia story, and they all referenced this Reuters article. And that was it. Suddenly it was Russia. So whenever I hear Russia did it, I kind of wince. And I ask on some security lists I'm on, is there really anything to this Russia thing? And some people have told me, people who I trust say, there is evidence that the solar winds attack was a Russian threat actor, but there's some evidence that can't be shown even on this security list. And coming from those people, it's good enough for me. But still, I just think that the whole Russia obsession, like in this latest one, the meatpacking attack, it affected Australia first, and then it went to America the next day. When I see ascribed to Russia or they got a communication from Russia, that could mean anything, especially when it's being misreported by the media. I pointed out that could just be the hackers using a throwaway webmail account from mail.ru. I mean, if I'm going to send in an extortion demand to someone, I'm going to go create an account at mail.ru. Like, why not? But also, we see in those spy movies that they can project a signal to go from anywhere else, like bounce it around the world. Yeah, exactly. Like I would fire up a BitTorrent browser and go to mail.ru, send my extortion note. Nobody knows where I am. And suddenly the Russia story is born. And meanwhile, you look across the other direction to China, who I really think is a totalitarian regime who really is hostile to Western interests, who really does engage in cyber warfare on a systemic state-backed basis. And there's like no hysteria or alarm bells ringing about that, which I've always found curious. So it's like every little thing gets blamed on Russia, and I'm sure they are doing things, and I'm sure they sort of mess with narrative and run those games. But it's like an obsession to blame everything on Russia and turn up in a similar inverted obsession to turn a blind eye to China. And it just, to me, seems very strange. And it makes it so hard to unpack what's really going on. Like, how can anybody make an intelligent decision with such flawed information coming in? It's very difficult. So all you can really do, you have to just embrace almost radical skepticism and just cope with whatever's being thrown at at the time. And it's even more complicated, by the way. It's more complicated because our actual governments are changing their story all the time about what's supposed to be happening and what's not happening. And then the media is either running their own agenda 
like the whole evolution of the lab origin story, whether it's true or not. So a year ago, you would basically be deplatformed for even exploring it. And now everybody's like walking back their remarks from last year when they were calling it a debunked conspiracy theory. And now they're pretending like, oh, we were always seriously considering this and thinking it deserved more study. And so for the individual and the business owner to try and get some grounding amidst the, it's a hall of mirrors. Like there is not an honest broker in any of these entities that we're supposed to trust for getting quality information that we can act on. It is hard as a person in the population where it was actually, I feel it was extra confronting for me over the last year or so because I'm used to operating outside of the normal space, right? I don't do nine to five, Monday to Friday, suit, tie, go into the city. I don't feel like I fit into regular society. And then you know, now we had to start scanning into places and we had to start using things. Like, I feel like I had a higher level of freedom to start with than the regular person. And I'll say this because, I, you know, as the author of Work Less, Make More, <laughs> I think most people, like my old version of myself, put themselves in prison mentally. It's a mental prison constructed by ourselves. So if you're doing nine to five, Monday to Friday, suit and tie, work in the city, and you don't like it, like the friend I often talk about in my podcast who used to complain to me every Monday about his job, and I would confront him and say, what are you doing about it? Now, I'm pleased to give you an update on that one. My friend with some coaching from me over a period of two months put himself in a position where he quit his job and is getting paid a monthly retainer that would be equivalent to his old salary. And he's working half the hours. So he's having a great life. You know, that was a great exercise for me, even though I don't love doing startups and it was frustrating for both of us. <laughs> we got there. I wanted to prove a point, but me as a person now, I'm finding society is, you know, we have to do things to protect everybody, but it does seem to me, and I'm not taking a pro or anti stance here. I just want to be clear about that, especially based on episode 807. I don't want to be deplatformed or cancelled out for having an opinion, but I am saying it appears as though there is a narrative that has been deemed the one that must be pushed and then it's being pumped into the press and being pumped into the media sites and it's very hard to actually find what I would call the truth. I'm not saying there's a conspiracy. I'm not saying that there's some secret agenda or some Illuminati or elite or whatever else. But I am saying when I go to the Australian government website, I can see clear facts that don't seem to be parlayed into the press. It's like it is there if you look for it on the Australian government website, which I have some trust in compared to some of these you know, whack job sites or crazy TikTok videos or whatever, <laughs> you know, metal detectors and all that shit. I'm talking about when I go there, I see stuff that I would have thought should be reported. Or when I see uh, medical peer-reviewed documentation of things that would or should be news, they don't seem to make it out through the news. So my question is really directed around, am I just perceiving this in isolation? Or is there something going on where there's a restriction or a contortion of what can and cannot be reported? And how is that happening? I wish I could answer like all of those questions. You're not wrong in noticing this contradiction or this, I call it hypernormal, right? There, right? I don't know if we talked about this on the last show. Hypernormal was a documentary made by the British documentarist Adam Curtis, and he used it in a specific context, but it's a term that describes a situation of surrealness that sets into a population when they have to pretend things are true that are obviously absurd. 
Okay. And so it's almost Orwellian where, you know, yesterday East Asia was the enemy, but today they're our ally, but they've always been our ally and yesterday never happened. It's just the narrative changes on the fly because if something is exposed to be wrong, the media can't ever admit that they were completely wrong about something. Like you, I don't really believe in conspiracies. I don't think there's like a cabal of people sitting around a a smoke-filled room deciding all these things. What I always say is there's no conspiracy. There's a dynamic. There's just a structural incentive that sort of spins things a certain direction. And there can't be any kind of even tacit admission that this narrative is not the one true narrative. And I think there's just this obsession with If we don't let experts run society or guide society, the whole thing will come off the rails. And I mean, this conversation could easily go down a rabbit hole. You could get into the whole libertarian Austrian economic thing about expert management and just spin out of control that way to (laughs) say that the experts create the crises. I want to put a filter on it. Yeah. Here's a filter I want to put to make this relevant is I'm getting to somewhere where I'm hoping we can chisel away at. I'm thinking, how does this affect us as online business owners, right? Mm-hmm. So we talked about as a consumer perspective, you know, just me as a person. But what I have noticed as a business coach is some of the platforms, especially over the last year, have really revealed themselves to have a pretty heavy and strong hand that can slap the business owner. So I have talked for the longest time ever, and I think that's how we came into trajectory was about own the race course. And about not relying on these platforms. But I think I'm seeing, firstly, as a consumer, I'm experiencing the filters in place. There are filters in place from my perspective. As a business coach, I'm seeing some of my clients getting throttled or restricted in terms of where they can message or what they can message. And it seems like it's a moving thing. They might be okay now, but it might not be okay in the future. Also, it does seem like some of these companies are now starting to become held accountable or experience legal cases where they have to change what they're doing. And of course, one of the massive things that's happened of recent times is a bit of a battle with cookies and tracking. That seems like the tech giants are at each other's throats. And I'm seeing a lot of chaos from anyone in my catchment who has been relying on building audiences or tracking pixels too much, like a drug and that's been switched off, they're going into withdrawal at the moment. And it's not pretty. They're vomiting on the walls, metaphorically speaking. (laughs) I'm interested, how can you relate what's happening to the internet and the controls and the filters and the pressures at play to an online business owner? What does it mean for them? If they listen to this podcast, what can we do about it? Where can we seek information? How can we get our products and services distributed and sold without being throttled or caned at all the various choke points that seem to be building up to make it a harder and harder maze to get through? Yeah, for sure. I'll preface it with just a comment that you were talking about being an online business owner and not doing the nine to five thing. You felt like you enjoyed a life of more freedom than you would have in your old career of working nine to five. And I feel exactly the same way. And this last year has been particularly hard on people like us because we're used to not having to answer to anyone. We're used to setting our own rules and living our lives the way we want to live it. And suddenly you got to stand on the dot to buy toilet paper and and Facebook is throwing up blocks saying, you can't say that here. 
And on that one, like every fiber of my inner body is screaming like, no, I, I mean, obviously I do it, right? Yeah. And I understand why they need to, but there's definitely a resistance in me. I don't like scanning in everywhere I go and I don't like standing on the X because that's not how. Yeah. That's not how you're wired. It's not how I'm wired. I definitely want to question it all. And then I want to understand it more. But yeah, for what I've noticed, my peers, like the people who used to go into the office who now work from home a lot, they're totally fine with it all. Mm. They'll do exactly what they're told to do. They're totally cool with it. And it's great. And it's it's helped our country move on. The fact that we're so easy, but even though I do it, it never felt quite right. And it's hard to explain why, but I think that's it. I've had so long out of the system that it's hard to be put back into a system. I'm just looking for my mask so I can at least put my mask on on our Zoom meeting, but I can't seem to find one because I don't have one in my desk. But, you know, I do notice that most people like us, I think almost every single business owner, entrepreneur that kind of does their own thing started a new business during lockdown, at least one. The mantra for me was, okay, what can I control? Right, I can control how I react to this. I can't really control a lot now, and that feels bad, and I have to acknowledge that. But what can I control? And it's simple in the sense that we have to double down on what we talked about owning the race course. You have to double down on that, and you double down on your email list, and you double down on taking as much of your customer relationship data under your own direct database and roof as possible. And if anything, you work on getting more backup, more redundancy, more spread out so that if you do have a big Facebook audience or you do have a big Twitter following, you're not going to get cut off from your best advocates and followers if you get knocked off of one of those platforms. So you're doubling down on what's already worked in the past. And then, I mean, like I said, diversifying. Everyone I know started a new business. So you can take that existing infrastructure and mailing lists and you can go to your existing customers and say, I've got this over here that you might be interested in. But it's building on that. And then there is an incentive structure now. If there's one good thing that came out of this last year, it's that a lot more eyes are open now to this. Like I'm stunned by the conversations I have in my neighborhood because I thought all my neighbors were just kind of normal people. And they are in that they have more normal jobs than me and stuff like that. But every single one of them around here, at least, is like the news is like the Pravda. I can't even watch TV anymore. This is all crazy. I got a nurse next door to me who's saying I am under no circumstances taking the vaccine and she has her own medical reasons for it. But it just surprises me how many people, just what you would consider normal everyday people are saying, this has gone off the rails. This is wrong. Something has happened. Facebook is a gulag. Twitter is like one opinion or no opinion. And the news is like propaganda. That was the word one of my neighbors used. So there's incentives and there's fresh eyes out there now to look at a new way of doing things. So you could try running some ads on an alternate platform, like maybe Minds or MeWe or something like that. And you might get more traction there this year than you would have gotten last year. Same rules apply. Don't become reliant on one of those new platforms. If you actually try one out and you get some attraction and it's working great, fantastic. But remember, you're reeling those customers in and those leads and those prospects and you're getting the email address, getting the address, getting a personal engagement going with those people that is not based on the platform that you found them through. And 
I think that you will start seeing big tech kind of realize we may have overplayed our hands. I mean, you saw them starting to say, we're going to reinstate Parler, things like that. Facebook, no longer going to block certain kinds of posts. I think when people see that, they kind of go, oh, wait a minute. I mean, Facebook was blocking a certain kind of post. I can't say whatever I want on Facebook because most people don't experience a lot of that censorship because they're just always coloring in between the lines. So they never run afoul of the rules. But now I think there's a much greater awareness that this whole thing is like the Stepford Wives or something like that. And they're starting to realize that maybe we shouldn't spend all our time on Facebook. Maybe we should look at these other platforms. And if I find someone I like, I think I am going to subscribe to their mailing list because if they get kicked off of Facebook, I'm going to lose touch with that person. So in that sense, I try to you know keep optimistic about some things, and maybe that's one of the things to be optimistic about. It's just this reoccurring theme, email, yeah. email, email. It's the core of my coaching right now. I'm telling people, do things to get people on your email list, Yeah, like use your social media platforms for that, use your podcasts, your video shows, webinars, challenges, books, courses, whatever. Get them on the email list and then use the email list to monetize that into products or services, recurring solutions, et cetera. Yeah. Email is the hub. It's still the hub. In 2021, email still it. It's still important. Yeah. It's actually how I've created the greatest value for my own partners in the businesses that I'm a partner in is by building up my own email list yeah. and helping people find the right solution. So I think that's a very important takeaway. The one thing we can do as an online business owner right now is to think about our email list as being more important than ever before and to do things that are healthy for the email list. And that includes things like email deliverability, mm-hmm. paying attention to your send from address, your subject lines, the first line in the email, what you actually have in the email. The episode before this, 835, was about email. It just comes up over and over again. And I think it's very important that we consider why people are getting on that email list, what they're looking for, and that we actually deliver that for them. What do you think is a good way to think about if we have got a strong reliance on a single platform, what would be the steps for people to protect themselves? I was just going to say one thing about the email, that there's also technical things you can do on the email side, like sending from a domain that's got SPF and DKIM and DMARC set up and that you're going through a clean outbound mailer service. You can set up like RBL monitoring to make sure that your outbounds aren't getting put into blacklists and stuff like that. But to come back to this question, so you're saying like, if you've got a huge Facebook following, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I like to do is you put out a little bit of a story and you make them come back to your site to read the rest of the story. If you're going to put out a YouTube video that's an hour long, you get the first half hour out there. You say like, come back to the website to get the rest of it. And then on that website, you're trying to get them to opt in. And whether you put an actual like content locker up there or whatever, you can do that on some social platforms too. You can try and get those emails on those platforms. But again, what's the common thread, email, 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 get the email, right? That's what you want. That's it. Like, And you can do it with podcasts. Like, I would say yeah. the thing you just mentioned about SPF records and DKIM, I often send people to a website. I think it's MX Toolbox. MX Toolbox. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like the first place they can go and have a look to see if they're black flag. Yeah. Absolutely critical. 
what we do with these episodes is on episode 836 on superfastbusiness.com, we will pull out the guts of this whole podcast and put it in a summary version. I've had amazing feedback from people. They love the summary. Saves them having to listen to the whole thing or read the whole thing. Yeah. But if you are detail-oriented or you want to go and catch all the resources Mark mentioned in that beautiful soundbite, then we do actually fully transcribe it, which is available at superfastbusiness.com where you see episode 836. You can opt in to my email newsletter and get every single transcription of every single podcast we've done on one handy download page. So that's a way that I bring people from my podcast to my email list And once you join that email list, you will continue to receive updates when we publish a new episode. And you can then decide if you want to go and get the transcript for that or to listen to it or not. That's been the core of our email growth. So that's one way you can do it is to add extra resources, increase the value of the medium. These podcasts are free. And then, of course, the upgrades are free. And at some point, someone will listen to enough to say, well, actually, you're talking about a problem I think that I have, and maybe you're the person that can help me solve it. And that's how they end up in super fast business membership. That's how they end up over at easydns.com. If they're listening to this and they think Mark knows what he's talking about, which I do, which is why you're on the show (laughs) twice so far. And if you want to secure your domain name better and you want to stop yourself from getting attacked and all those things, then you head over to that site and you look at the solutions they have there in terms of securing your own assets. Because it's basically levels of control. And I think some people, like we're talking about that Monday to Friday, nine to five suit and tie office worker, you can choose what level of control you want as long as you know what options are available to you. So big takeaways so far. Yes, the news you're getting is probably got a flavor that is in a way filtered more than it has ever been before. There are looming government regulations and laws coming down the pipe that might control that even more, which I think we should end on, Mark. And if you do have a big following on any social media platform or your podcast audience or whatever, please migrate people to your email list as soon as you possibly can to protect yourself. Mark, let's talk about what's coming because if you pull out your crystal ball and if you're also just you know an avid researcher and your income is dependent on what happens to the internet in the future, which is pretty much everyone listening to this podcast, what do we need to know about what's coming? It's going to get worse everywhere before it gets better. Right. Up here in Canada, I sit on the board for the Internet Society Canada chapter, and we've been looking at the bills that are coming out and... I think our chair phrased it yesterday, we have the most anti-internet federal government in history, in our country's history. And I don't even think that that's really along party lines, because I remember the liberals are in now. I remember when the conservatives were in, I vowed I would never vote for the conservatives ever again because they put in this internet surveillance bill. And now the liberals are ready to put in a couple of even worse bills. So it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum is in power. They're just putting in more censorship and more punitive controls and regulations and everything. So this gets worse before it gets better. So you've basically got to take matters into your own hands and just connect with the information you want and take control of your own infrastructure. What types of things are you seeing in those bills that would allow them to do that they're not doing at the moment? So Bill C-10 would move regulatory power of the internet to the CRTC, which regulates broadcasting. They're like radio and telecom or radio and television 
So they're going to put the internet in that pile. They say the internet is now a broadcast medium and it's subject to regulation by the CRTC. It's going to have Canadian content quotas and rules and discoverability rules, which may sound good on the surface, but we were talking about it today on our meeting and it's actually going to damage Canadian artists and content creators because 90% of Canadian content creators' audiences are outside of Canada. So if other countries retaliate with similar rules, then Canadian content creators are going to be caught in the middle of this crossfire and they're actually going to lose their audiences outside of Canada. Bill C-11 was straight up regulating content. It was going to ban material that was critical of politicians, and it was even proposing an internet kill switch to be used as the nuclear option to take out material that was criticizing politicians. It was unbelievable. That one seems to be kind of dead in the water right now, but we may have a federal election this year, and if they secure a stronger government than they have now, who knows what's going to happen. There was a broadband rate decision just last week, which rolled back a bunch. It's long story short, it's going to reduce the competitive landscape for broadband access in Canada. It's just, it's awful across the board. Terrible. I see because I write the Access of Easy newsletter right every week, and I, I see this stuff all over the world. Right in Australia, there's stuff happening, and then in really bad places like Malaysia, they just turn the internet off. It's just like <laughs> gone for 30 days. That's right. We take for granted. I remember when it was about 2009, I was speaking in Dubai, and I wasn't able to access sites like PayPal or um, mm. you know, just like something you get used to. Yeah. It's just like if they decide that it's not allowed, you can't use it. Yeah. And as I traveled quite a lot, I noticed that I wasn't able to stream things like Netflix or Formula One mm-hmm. subscriptions in other countries. I had to use a proxy browser yeah. or a VPN, of which even then, three of the ones I tried were blocked. Yeah. Like they know the numbers and they blocked them. And it was only one that I found that was good. And I use that one now on my phone. And as a matter of principle, even if I'm staying in a hotel or whatever, I generally won't use the Wi-Fi provided if I can use my roaming plan and I'll always use a VPN when I possibly can. You've got to be careful, right? Even if you plug your USB thing into the wall for some of those places, like a plane or whatever, they can start reading your device probably. Yeah. Hotels are notorious for shaping traffic. Right. It's like suddenly it's like, well, why can't I send mail through my mail server? Because they're like getting in the middle of that. And it's like, no, you must. With their barracuda. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I think I've put my finger on it. You know, by the end of this episode, I've worked it out. I I just don't like being told what to do. I think that's it. Yeah. As you experience more and more freedom, you know, for the long part of my career, I was the boss. I was at the top and I got used to something a lot of employees will never have. And that's like the intoxicating freedom of being able to choose what you do every day. Like if you're in the military, that probably doesn't happen very often. But in our entrepreneurial world, we get to shape our own life. So we don't like being blinkered. No matter whether it's good or bad, I'm just saying in general, it's an interesting scenario we're in. That's what caused me to be wary of being too dependent on any one traffic source in the very first place. I could immediately recognize that it's very dangerous playing on someone else's platform. But what I'm really getting at here is the entire internet, certainly in some countries, is becoming a platform that is getting shaped and controlled to make it a little bit more difficult. And one of the things that gives us some freedom is if we can pull down our email list as a CSV file and stick it on our hard drive, 
that's at least an asset that we might be able to redeploy in multiple versions, whether we're using a remarketing list, whether we're putting it up to a new email provider, if the old one stops working, we can still at least email people and do other things with it. So that's a big takeaway from this episode. Any final thoughts, Mark? Yeah, it was just as you were describing that, I was thinking it's almost like Bitcoin, really, right? If you have your email list, you can use it anywhere because the valuable thing for your email list is the relationship you have with your prospects or your customers or your colleagues or whatever that is. That's what's valuable. And the list, having it on a CSV file on a thumb drive, that's just your private keys to be able to access that resource out there. It's like a Trezor, right? For a crypto. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I did say earlier, I think this gets worse before it gets better. I think it will get better. You know, Little Ray of Optimism is a book by George Gilder called Life After Google. It's a couple years old now, but okay. you know, he did a great job predicting the end of television in Life After Television. And I think he's done it again with Life After Google. So I read that sometimes just to get a breath of fresh air and just kind of realize <laughs> that this too shall pass. And yeah. Yeah, I think it will. I- Personally, at I'm a point in life where I'm feeling like I really just want to prune back. Mm-hmm. I want to prune back my social use. I want to prune back where my properties are. Mm. I feel like I'm going to go through a catharsis of right. you know, just pulling back, simplifying. It's my own recipe anyway. Simplifying is really the, the secret to sustainability. It's keep it simple. Don't get overloaded. Don't get frazzled out. Don't get burnt out. Just recognize when things have gone to the edge. Pull back a bit reduce and progress more calmly. So thank you for coming and sharing. Always insightful. I think we should make this a regular thing as the landscape changes, especially if you think of something or you observe something that affects our community, please mark anytime you want to come back and share with us. It's great. I always look forward to the comments from these episodes. This is definitely a more vulnerable episode. I talk more about my own personal preferences and myself in in this type of thing because I've been online since Well, 2005 or 2006, I've lived in this world. I've seen my children coming through this world, especially the youngest or the second youngest one now, has been deeply shaped by the internet world through that adolescence period. And it's fascinating to me just to see generationally. Now I've got a two-year-old who's starting to talk about an iPad. (laughs) They know what they are and they know what they do, but thankfully she still prefers to read a book. Yeah, (laughs) But it's something I'm definitely deeply involved in as a parent, as a person, as a business operator. I think it moves at a rate that is hard for most people to even comprehend. And that's why these episodes are important. So we'll be back to our regular program in the next episode, but this one's episode 836. If you want to get the notes, head over to superfastbusiness.com. If you want to sort out your domain, get it secure, et cetera, head over to easydns.com. I'm not an affiliate or anything. I just like Mark and he's always given me good advice and his um, team have been members of Superfast Business Community for about eight years now. So we've got a good, strong connection there. Thanks so much, Mark. Catch you on the next one. Thanks, James. Take care. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com.